1: for free shipping and 365-day returns.
2: So not long now until Ruler 101 starts dropping through your letterboxes, so another chance for us to talk about this special women-focused edition. Guest editor Orla Shenwy is here to tell us more about what's in it, and Rebecca Charlton talks about the impact of online racing, especially on the women's side of the sport. This is Ruler Conversations brought to you by Lacquer, bicycle insurance, powered by the community. So, Orla Shenwe, guest editor of Ruler Edition 101. Uh, you haven't, I don't think, got the actual paper copy in your hands yet, but we've seen the final proofs. Is it living up to your hopes and expectations?
3: Even you just saying, like, welcoming me there and saying the guest editor makes me feel terrified. I've been so excited about this, so excited and really energised and and I've felt a real sense of purpose with it. It's been such an honour. And now that I've seen... The PDF version of it, for want of a better description, I've gone from absolute elation and deep, deep satisfaction to terror. I'm now feeling like it's such a cliche, especially in publishing and writing and talking about bringing your baby out into the world. But I feel like we've made this almost perfectly formed little thing and... It's time to share it. I have to let go of it. I have to I have to let it be what it will be and whatever anyone else wants it to be, whether they're happy with it, whether they think we could have done better, whether they think we could have done it differently. There's nothing more I can do for it now. I'm so proud of it. I'm deeply proud of it. And not just any individual work, but the whole collaboration of people who have really bought into the concept of this. You know, we said in the last, the last time we spoke that this has been 10 months in the planning. And that's from the top, down all through ruler and everyone that I've spoken to when it comes to commissioning graphics illustrations pictures everyone has gotten it and that's been huge and it's just been like I say it's been so energizing especially given the context in which we brought this thing to fruition the first conversation I had about this was during the first lockdown here we are almost a year later in lockdown again, a different version of it, and yet we've managed to go on all of these conversations around the world and and through history and it's been beautiful. It's It's been a beautiful connecting experience for me. And I really, really deeply hope that people can get something out of it, at least. If they take some pleasure and solace from reading anything in these pages, it will make me very happy indeed.
2: Uh, Rebecca Chelton, you've been in cycling journalism for a good few years now. Uh, what were your thoughts when you saw the proofs of Ruler 101?
0: Well, Ian, scarily enough, I actually had a think yesterday to how long it has been since I first started in the cycling industry, and it's about 15 years now. I don't know how this has happened, Um, but I was so excited to see it come together. And I think for me, you know, I was so fortunate that order approached me and commissioned a piece which I was so delighted and excited to work on. You know, I've had that element of being a little bit close to it, but of course then seeing it come together from the outside and and seeing those both uh, perspectives... Just going through, as Ola said, the the PDF version, um, Oh, it's absolutely beautiful. I'm just so excited for everyone else to see it.
2: Now, the cover is really striking, Ola, isn't it? Especially for a cycling magazine. Am I allowed to say who it is?
0: Well,
3: I have. (laughs) I've tagged her in my post and I've thanked her for allowing us to use that particular image of her, so go for it.
2: So it's Sinead's reed, and it's just her face, isn't it? It's just the lower half of her face, which is a really striking cover. How did you come to decide on that?
3: Yeah, it's essentially just her mouth and her nose. How we came about it, there were so we had so many different conversations as to what kind of a cover we wanted. I cannot even begin to bore you. I mean, I say bore you. I find it inspiring to talk about all the different ways we could convey what we wanted to convey, and and we had so many complex. Um, ambitious plans I won't actually use too many spoilers in case they're they're revisited in later magazines but there was one in particular that I really loved this image that I love that was used on the cover of Vogue India and it is of a model essentially on a bicycle going through um, some sort of field sort of flatland fields in heels with this wonderful couture gown flowing behind her. And I just find it such a liberating image, but at the same time, so evocative of the constraints that women put in themselves, but playing with it, you know, and the playfulness of the dress and everything. So anyway, one of my thoughts have been to do something like this, amongst many, many other thoughts. The shoot went ahead with Shania's, who was our cover story and I spoke in in depth with Veronique the photographer beforehand and we had different ideas and then um, shoots are what they are, they're organic living breathing things you know they depend on mood and lighting and time constraints and whatnot and we came back with a whole load of pictures none of which in any way tallied with what we had thought we might end up doing but each one was beautiful and then we were sort of thinking, OK, well, what do we do with this? Anyway, Jeremy, who's the art director of the magazine, put together a few mock-ups, lots of different kinds, some of, of um, more her arms, of her face, of a profile. And there was just this one picture of her mouth that just smacked me in the gut. I felt so viscerally that I needed this to be the cover of the magazine on so many levels and I just loved it and I still love it. And I'm so proud that we've gone with it. And it's it's caused a bit of a talking point, a bit of debate. What
2: has been the reaction to it?
3: It's been very mixed, actually. What I should say is that I, I thought it was very important for me to write my guest editor's letter describing uh, the process behind why we've chosen this picture. Um, and so any post that we have put on social media has included that letter to explain why we wanted to use um, this picture. The reason being, what? so when I saw it, your first instinct, whether we realize this or not, this it surprised me. My first instinct was, well, that's a very sensual picture because it's of a woman's mouth. And, in, and my my split second thought after that was, why did I think that? Why did I think that? I know why I thought it, because that is what we're told a woman's mouth is. We're told it is sensual, it is sexual. And that is by the weight of historical narrative, which is written by and for men. That's just the way it is. That's not being accusatory. It's simply the way it is. And so I just thought, wow, how powerful would it be if we were to use her mouth, Sinead's mouth, as a symbol of all of our mouths, of our voices, the way in which we express ourselves, the way in which we express our narrative and our stories and and share stories with each other. And that's exactly the purpose of this magazine is to have a woman's voice. And so I guess in a way it is controversial because it's nothing to do with cycling other than The fact that the mouth belongs to a cyclist, uh, a a very prolific, successful (laughs) cyclist, which in itself for me was enough. But there are those who believe that we should have just used, and I say just because that's that's the word that that they have used, a picture of a cyclist on a bike. You know, that we wouldn't see Julien Alaphilippe's mouth up close or uh, Peter Sagan's and that we should just have a picture of a woman on a bike. What is wrong with that? what is wrong with that absolutely nothing is wrong with that other than i wanted to make a statement and i wanted to create a bit of discussion and debate and i really feel like uh, we live in, in a dangerous time when it comes to debate and discussion whereby you know this cancel culture just just strikes me to the core i i i find it so distressing because the richness of our entire species is built on debate and discussion and back and forth and to and fro and disagreement. And I want there to be disagreement, because if you can listen to someone else's point of view and still disagree,
0: at least you've listened.
2: Rebecca, you've um, been seeing some of the reaction as well. What was what were your thoughts when you saw it?
0: I'm just so happy and grateful that you have made that decision, Ola, and to make that statement, because it has sparked debate. And I'd be interested in minutes to know if the reaction has been as you expected I mean I've had a look at at the first reactions online and I think obviously it is so largely positive of course but there are those few comments that yeah really sparked my interest because I've been thinking back to a lot of photo stories cover shoots I've across various magazines that I've worked on and I actually beg to differ with the close-ups on on some of the you know the men's peloton on their faces on their body parts but I think the difference there is they're always depicted as very gritty images and a certain way of looking at the male form. I, I looked at the image of, of Sinead's lips. What was my initial thought? What was my action and why was that? Okay, she's got some lip gloss on. She's She's got a bit of makeup on her face. And that really got me thinking about the way we're allowed to view ourselves, to to perceive you know, the close-up of, of the female form, because... It got me back to thinking about my days as a racer when I was a lot younger. And I used to wipe every scrap of makeup off my face. If I was going from school and I had, you know, got into makeup as a teenager, as you do with your friends. I would go straight from school or my part time job where I had makeup on to a bike race, to track league, to something like that. And the thought of someone seeing me with a trace of mascara on was mortifying because I had had it drilled into me that I would not be taken seriously if that's the way I was seen. And and to think back to that person now who was getting the wipes out, scrubbing it off with this absolute fear that someone was going to spot it it's such a far cry from the way I view myself and my peers and and you know bike riders now that I can't believe that I used to have that thought process but I did which is why it's so important that we've got this cover
3: that makes me so happy Rebecca that you say that and and you know at the risk of sounding like we're speaking within our own bubble which we are because it's three certain people talking to each other I was going to say it doesn't matter to me if the cover is accepted and if people get it, but of course it matters. You know, we're trying to do things to to find commonality and to try to uh, bring people together. And so I guess my fear had been that people would look at it and think that it was cheap, you know, and think that it was an easy way to view a woman. But But I wanted it to be a more difficult way to view a successful strong woman. You know, that there was one comment that was made, you know and really respectfully and 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 I'm not I'm not singling out comments because I I disagree with them this one was a really good point saying um maybe we could have had half and half, you know, maybe we could have had half, you know, did the mouth have to be so beautiful? Did the person have to be so beautiful? And, and could we not have also have had, you know, half of like a gritty, muddy face? I mean, I would argue that the gritty, muddy face is also beautiful. And there's, there's a very celebrated aesthetic these days, certainly on Instagram, when it comes to cross and mountain biking and, and women with, you know, spattered faces. But I feel like almost going back to what you're saying, Rebecca, that beauty male or female, doesn't need to be denied you know and and it's not my fault that Shinea's Read is a beautiful mouth. <laughs> you know that's who we chose for the cover, and it happened to be the most beautiful striking picture um that that spoke of the magazine on so many levels, which is why we went with it but um but I'm happy that it's causing discussion. That's what I wanted. I want people to tell me what they think, you know, whether they agree with me or I agree with them or not.
2: Away from the cover, the interview with Shaneese is really interesting as well. I mean, I follow the sport pretty closely, but I wasn't aware of all the things that she'd been through.
3: Yeah, she has a really really interesting life, and when you speak to Shaneese, she's really unassuming, you know, and she's really humble and straightforward. And I think she's maybe even getting to a stage in her life where she realizes how unusual her story is for someone of of her level of success. Certainly within track cycling, you know, and and she's realizing maybe how much she maybe didn't fit into that mould. But yeah, in the in the um, interview with Ian, cleverly she talks about her upbringing. Um, her dad left whenever she was um, just a baby. She ended up being brought up by her grandparents because her mum was just a kid, as she calls her, whenever she had her, and was in and out of her life when she was younger. Her mum was involved in abusive relationships. Yeah, it was just, it was a very, it was a, it was a tough upbringing. It was tough. To speak to Shanice you'll know that it was also filled with a lot of love, you know, and she had an awful lot of positive role models and that's the power of sport as well. Um, but she's overcome an awful lot to get to the success that she's had. And then she's been, well, she's been very open recently talking about her subsequent alcoholism after retiring from cycling and, and her recovery from that. She's it's such a fascinating, rewarding interviewee and a really and a really generous person with sharing her life experience
2: one of the other central articles is the uh round table discussion between you um all uh, monica santini of the clothing brand lizzie deignan and uh, fran miller who's formerly of um Team Sky and Ineos. Uh, when you sat down with them or when you spoke to them, w- did the discussion end up going how you expected it to go?
3: Um, yes and no, because you never know how any discussion is going to go. It surpassed my my hopes, that's for sure, and that's that's knowing Monica and Leslie and Fran, and knowing a, you know at least a fraction of, of what they were going to offer me. I was really I was really nervous about it because like i say i i know the women some of them really well and i knew that we had the potential for a really powerful important discussion and you know when you set down to do something with that kind of an ambition you feel like you're only ever going to be disappointed but the the experience and the stories and the the sort of shared experience i guess that we've all had was so uplifting like i came away from that conversation absolutely buzzing i think i cried i shared the story as as it will appear in the magazine, with a friend who messaged me this morning and said that was I'm just so glad you've had this conversation, and it was just the kind of conversation that I feel like I haven't read enough of. You know, women like Monica, like Lizzie, like Fran, who are at the top of their game, and um, be that game, woman's game or a man's game and what it means to be a woman in it. Does it make a difference? You know, do, does it matter to be a woman? If it does, why? In what way? And it's a really celebratory discussion, I, fa- I feel. I don't think it was, again, I go back to nothing about this is accusatory. It's not us and them. Um, I hope that men reading it will have a better insight into what it is to succeed in a
0: man's world.
2: Rebecca, when you um saw that discussion when you saw that article, um did it sort of chime with you?
0: Yeah, it really did and it was again a really fascinating read because I, you know, know the people in it so well. A theme that came across throughout that round table and and the whole issue was the honesty. From Miller for example, her and I have had some, you know, such brilliant discussions over the years and to see that come to light in the in the magazine was brilliant because I, I love to the and I won't give too much away if, if people haven't read the issue yet, but that interaction, that honesty and actually saying, you know, is it like that? But it actually is it because I think something um for me is that we've often sat around and often you find the same things coming out, and we say what we think we should say. You know, when we're doing panel discussions, when we're when we're appearing in editorial, there is that pressure sometimes to 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 be so worried about setting a certain narrative to put a certain message out that that you don't always get everything out. And and I feel that again, the article and and the rest of the mag really did that. That's what I was really happy about because I didn't want this to be. I knew it wasn't going to
3: be because of the woman that we chose. It wasn't it wasn't going to be a bitching moaning session, you know. And it wasn't going to be this is how hard. We We've had it. There was so much celebration of what it what a woman will bring to the top level. I loved I loved so much bringing Fran Miller into it. And if any of our readers don't know her very well, honestly, she is the most kick ass woman you will ever meet. But but with such compassion, I've known her my whole cycling career, and I feel like um, we're the same age, and we've come through. I guess, life learning experiences probably around the same time. And, and I just love listening to her wisdom now. I'm like, how did you get so wise? How did I get left behind in this whole life journey? But, you know, we 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 concluded that Monica should be president of the UCI first of all, and then the world. Lizzie's experiences are sometimes amazing, sometimes shocking. She has some fantastic anecdotes to tell. Fran and her discussion over... The idea back in the day of a woman's team Sky, I hadn't realised that meetings had gone quite as far as they had done and Franz regretted it at a female team Sky never happening. Uh, there's, so, there's so much to cherish in that conversation. I love it.
2: And the audio from that roundtable discussion will form the basis of next week's uh, ruler Long Reads. So, uh, looking forward to hearing that. And another article, which I suspect will attract some attention uh, when the magazine is out, is by you, Orla. It's the V word, um, which is all about vaginas, vaginas, and cycling. Um, uh, I had no idea I should have done but I had no idea but that it was such a serious and widespread issue.
3: I had no idea it was such a serious and widespread issue and I've got a vagina so don't don't worry about uh, not <laughs> not knowing about it. Yeah, it was a piece on the prevalence I guess of labial swelling and just the horrific damage it can do and and the lengths that riders end up going to before they get it addressed. And and I guess my take on it was, I mean, I spoke to some current top riders who have had uh, labial surgery. I spoke to, uh, who who spoke to me anonymously. Uh, they're still competing. And so, they, you know, nobody wants anyone to know of any, you know, physical weakness. I spoke to others who have retired and are more open about it. I've spoken to um, a surgeon a surgeon uh, who is an expert in this. And sorry, I'm laughing at this. And you might end up having to cut this out. I don't know. But um, so, so, so my discovery on talking about all of this was that an awful lot of the problems when it comes to discovering whether or not we have an issue is that there is still so much embarrassment and so much shame around vaginas, you know, and even the word we don't use very much we don't know what's normal. We don't know what's not normal, you know, and every single one looks different. It's different shape, different size, but we don't know whether that's a normal size or whether that's, there's actually something wrong. And when I spoke to the um, surgeon who spoke very, you know, medically and biologically about the whole situation, and he's done incredible work uh, promoting awareness of this, um, he sent me a message shortly afterwards saying that he wanted to read the piece um, and said, had I finished yet writing the article about flat mash... I'll just leave the words there, flap and mash, and I and I read it and felt si- I, mean, I felt physically sick, and then I googled it, and realised that that this is a term people use it, and you know articles have been written using the phrase, but that I mean, I, even just saying it nice still makes me feel sick. The term in itself, I just find so, I mean, it's just so derogatory, isn't it? And and no one wants to put their hands up and say they've got flap mash. I just feel like we need to have a bit of a more grown-up conversation about it and maybe that will help from the elites all the way down to um, you know, amateurs who didn't realise that this was going to be necessarily a problem for them.
2: You can't help thinking that if there was a similar problem which affected male riders, it would have been discussed endlessly and there would be all kinds of solutions put forward and it would be discussed... Um, in every cycling magazine and on every forum.
3: It is an issue that, you know, people will say, and some have said to me on social media that we need to talk about this more with men as well. It's not just women. And certainly there have been excellent articles written about this when it comes to women you know some incredible pieces Hannah Dines is is one of the paracyclists who I spoke to for the piece who who's written extensively about it before I think the difference is that for a start we are 100 years apart when it comes to medical literature when um we're talking about these problems with men and women you know that's a fact. And also the industry is still catered largely for men. And so the problem we have is that we don't have the same saddles for women, um, working out what the pressure points are going to be. We we don't have enough awareness of of how the bike fit needs to work for women. Saddles being a major issue and the industry is catching up, you know, quite rapidly with that, but we still have quite a way to go, certainly for you know the casual cyclist um who may not necessarily need the the top end saddles. But it's important that we know that, you know, riding on a man's saddle isn't necessarily the best thing for you.
0: So I actually ended up doing a full um, Instagram live about uh, some of these issues with um, Phil Burt, who's the former physio for British Cycling. And we just had such a fantastic conversation based on what a lot of people were were feeding back and and saying in the comment chat as as we went on really. And he just addressed things right from the top of the chat, which I admire so much with him. He doesn't hold back. And you know, it's things that he said that he was encouraging conversations to happen around at British Cycling with, with the women's squad. Like if you've gone for a bikini wax and then you put you're on you do a hard effort you're on a certain saddle tilt position it can just lead to so many problems you know as you've discovered all and i think these are things that he's been encouraging narrative around because it can lead to yeah to ultimately you know being completely off the bike not being able to do your sport um and these things weren't being talked about. So I think, yeah, I think these conversations are so important.
2: You are listening to Ruler Conversations, brought to you by Laka bicycle insurance powered by the community.
4: Laka's collective cover is made especially for cyclists for life on and off your bike. They've transformed traditional insurance to provide customers with a fairer, collective-driven approach to cycle insurance. Say goodbye to fixed upfront premiums. Instead, your monthly contributions are based on the collective's claims that month. Your maximum monthly price is capped, but the savings are all yours. And they have some big news. Lacquer will be running its first ever crowdfunding campaign and offering equity for the pack. Cyclists have helped Lacquer bring a much better model of insurance to the masses. That's why they want to invite you to join the ride. They're pleased to be able to give Ruler listeners the opportunity to own a part of Lacquer. You can invest in the future of Lacquer from as little as £10 and become a huge part of their collective. To register and to find out more about Lacca's crowdfunding campaign, head to LACA.com
2: you're listening to Ruler Conversations with me Ian Parkinson, Orla Shenwi and Rebecca Charlton and we're talking about issue 101 and if you want to get your hands on a copy you need to subscribe go to the Ruler website you can get a subscription for as little as 7 pounds a month and you can also of course subscribe to our Italian and Spanish language sister magazines and while you're there check out the shop with a wide range of the best cycling brands in the world all in one place now uh, Rebecca you have an article in Ruler 101 uh, which is about Zwift and other online racing and training apps um, which have been around for a while of course but uh, and been popular but have really taken off since the start of the pandemic at the beginning of last year.
0: Yeah, I mean, I can't lie. Anyone that follows me on social media will know I've become a complete Zwift addict. Um, and this happened in the first lockdown, actually. Um, I've got some previous sort of issues with my lungs after quite a nasty bike crash years and years ago um, that led me to end up in hospital with pneumonia because I'd partially collapsed the lung in this, this crash, breaking ribs, um, and didn't realise. So um, this kind of went on and on and, and led me to have to be quite careful when it comes to getting chest infections or, you know, or work and for that reason you know when it was such an unknown with with the beginning of the pandemic I really didn't want to leave the house you know I didn't even want want to pop to the shops at first and certainly didn't think about going out for a group bike ride or anything like that so I was following things so so cautiously for obvious reasons and I'd commentated and, and worked with Zwift um, for a couple of years by that point, but I'd never really had that permanent setup at home. And I spoke to them quite early on and they said, you know, well, why don't we get you sorted with a Zwift station? Um, and I had quite a small um, flat in London at the time. And and I did give a thought to, to the amount of space it might take up and, you know, how much am I going to regularly use it? And, you know, with everything happening, with bike races and, and events being cancelled and, and largely being at ho- home the whole time, I thought, you know what, I'm going to set this up permanently. So I got the Zwift set up right in the middle of my living space basically. And I was just on it pretty much every day and arranging all these meetups. And it was just such a wonderful way to socialise, to meet up with, with, you know, people that I was needing to have work chats with. We were ending up on Zwift and, and having a chat on the on the gaming app Discord. So I went in full headset everything. Yeah, I just got absolutely hooked on. The elements that it was bringing my life that I, I couldn't get anywhere else, you know, essentially being locked in, I just got more and more and more hooked. And then the premise for this article came from the fact that um, a friend of mine, a colleague that I was riding with regularly, he was bringing together a lot of people that were, were Zwifters and, and industry peers to, to ride regularly. And one day, Ashley Mormon came on one of the rides and we started chatting on Discord and got on really, really well. And then she subsequently invited me along to, to a regular ride that she's doing every week where she'll have a huge training block of, you know... I suspect about five hours or more and as part of that she'll ride on Zwift and then she'll perhaps go out on the road to, to bridge the rest of it and so of course you know it's probably quite a sedate pace for her um, steady training miles but for me I'm I'm pretty much sprinting to keep up with her but you know we, we were doing this regular ride and I just thought how generous of a rider like Ashley to invite a rider of my ability to come along and 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 get involved and It led to so many conversations that I'd never had an opportunity to have in a flash interview zone, live on TV, very short few seconds here and there. And I was just saying to her, you know, these things that you're saying to me are just fascinating. You know, a lot of these things I just didn't know. I didn't know the impact things were having in, in terms of eSports. And so, yeah, I, I kind of said to her, do you want to actually get this down? Um, do, you, do you want to share these stories? And she was like, I'd absolutely love to. And, and that's um, how the conversation started with Ola and I about formulating an article.
2: And Ashley Mormon pasio um, became Zwift world champion. Um, and suddenly she got more recognition than she'd ever got for years of riding in the World Tour and, and Olympics and more money.
0: Yeah, I mean, you you can't argue it. You, you just can't. I think, you know, for the words that come from her mouth, you know, she says that that recognition just escalated because people were watching her live on television of course, then, you know, we, we discovered that the prize money, there was complete parity with, with the men's racing and there were just so many benefits to come from it. And I think, you know, alongside that, she just is a rider that saw this opportunity and embraced it and and not only that what I love about her is she wants to share this with everybody else she's she's not keeping this to herself at all she's saying do you know what this is a really big factor in our sport and I want to see more people benefit I want to open doors for people coming through um and she and she's just shouting about it so much
2: and there is that sort of crossover isn't there between Zwift the Zwift Academy and the sort of Pro uh, riders and pro teams, um, but they are they are they well they do seem to be. It has to be said, I'm a such a luddite. I've never tried it, but um, they do seem to be very different skills. I mean, ri- racing online and racing in the real world, um, as it were, are very different, aren't they?
0: Yeah, and this is something that Ashley really embraced because, um, as you're learning the article, you know she she hasn't always been on Swift. She hasn't always been as savvy with with the platform of esports and it takes a lot of learning um, and that's something I really love about it is yeah of course I've had so many discussions with people that have said it, it's not it's you can't draw that parallel it's not exactly the same and no it's not but it does bring another element you know um just doing the amateur racing and, and rides myself you have to position yourself off the start line so you're almost sprinting out of the gate in order to to have, you know, a role in that race as it goes on, because you've got to be fast out of the gun. And I think that's something, again, she went away and she learned how to execute that perfectly, how to use things like power ups in the game where you get a certain amount of time where your power to weight will increase, for example, with a feather. Um, so you're learning all these things as you go. And it's and it's an exciting new entity in itself
2: and it's not just sort of um, national and international level is it because there's you know local race leagues been organized there's even a Tuesday night track league which recreates a local track league online as yeah well. there
0: there is genuinely something for absolutely everyone my mum rides Zwift with me a couple of times a week and you know, she's found categories that the Tour de Zwift is happening at the moment and she's got a category that she can go and do. And it's a race for her, you know, and then I've got a category that's a race for me. And then you've got right up to the elites. And I think that's what's brilliant. There's always something going on, um, however seriously or or socially you want to take it.
2: And do you think when all of this is hopefully over, we'll forget about online riding and we'll forget about Zwift and we'll just go back to riding out in the the fresh air again? Or do you think it's definitely something that's really kind of embedded in our psyche now
0: I think it's here to stay but of course I think it will go back to to a place for both but I've I've learned ways of of fitting more into the day with with the ability to use Zwift because of course I'll always be a roadie I'll always go out on those road rides um or at least you know hopefully more so in the future but that doesn't mean that it's not still really time consuming so you can get such a hard workout on Zwift for 40 minutes and and it replaces perhaps you know a couple of hours of stop start on the road so I definitely think there's a place for it but I've been joking with people because after the first lockdown when people started to to sort of get back to a little bit more normality you know people were disappearing off of some of the Zwift rides and I was like no don't leave me (laughs) come back um because I you know I was by far the most hooked on it but yeah I I definitely think there's um there's a real place for it. It's its own platform, but it it has become, as Rebecca says, its own entity. And I
3: and I find the the, the force for good something that's very positive and and um, very necessary right now because we look at a sport like cycling, which is so beautifully steeped in tradition, but sometimes hampered by that tradition. And the reason I wanted to explore this in a piece with Rebecca was because um, cycling isn't the only sport whereby e-sport has become the levelizer. It's become the equalizer. And that's not just in terms of gender, but, but largely in terms of gender, um, certainly when it comes to parity of pay, but also access to the sport, you know? And, and we see that with, for example, as WIFT Academy and there are, you know, there are other online training platforms. I'm using the Academy as a specific example of riders who maybe wouldn't have access to the professional ranks, finding their way in. And yeah, they'll, they'll there will be further training, but they might've been lost to the sport otherwise. And I think that's a great, that's a great vehicle to bring them in. And I think that will stay. I think that the fact that we have now a very visual, visible platform of parity is a great thing at the top of any sport. Uh, and I would, I would be sad to see that go away insight cycling, i think it's very much of its generation
2: well thank you all and thank you rebecca for being on this ruler conversations uh really looking forward to getting the real magazine uh firmly in my hands soon and that ruler long reads uh with the roundtable discussion will be along next week and it's a fascinating listen so until then thank you for listening and if you haven't already subscribe now then, here's an infomercial message for the discerning folk of Rulerland. For the finest long-form cycling journalism and exquisite photography and design, why don't you simply subscribe to Rouleur magazine? It costs as little as £7 per month. Regular columnists include Orla Shenwi, Roman Bade, and me, Ned Bolting, accompanied by features from the best writers and photographers in the business. Simply go to rouleur.cc. You know it makes sense. <laughs>